0: For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I don't know about you, I always feel like when it's hunting season and I'm doing, I'm in the season I want to be in, doing the things I want to do, that's when everything else is going on. It just makes things get more chaotic. So as we speak, as I'm recording this introduction for this week's episode, it is Wednesday night of the first week of deer season and I am doing everything I can to pack up and get ready because I'm headed up to my cabin, which is in Lycoming County, to do some group hunting. We're going to be doing some drives and might be doing a little bit of still hunting on our own, exploring some new areas, doing some historic areas uh, that we've done drives in that have produced very well for us, and I'm really, really excited for that and have a crew of friends and family that are doing that. I look forward to this hunt every year, but before I do that, I knew I needed to uh, get our get our episode ready for this week because I want to keep that coming to you guys weekly on Fridays. I so here's here's a goofy thing. It's really not a big deal, but it had me all worked up at first. But it's all good now. I I made a map. So I took my uh, I've been using Onyx and I've made a printed map. It was like 24 inches by 36 inches of the hunting area with my onyx. I I made this map and it had all my important pins of reference. I had chop offs outlined that had fences around them versus didn't have fences around them, and all these important pieces of the puzzle that was going to be really really helpful for me to show people on a map where we were hunting how I wanted people to be taken in for stands how I wanted to be taking people in for for the drive making sure people understand where we're going and hunting and how the drive is going to work I just thought it would be a way to increase efficiency so I get this map made um, and decide I'm just going to take it to Staples to get laminated that way i could take a dry erase marker and draw all over it and when i was finished erase it and and do what i you know go on my business with it and they lost my map i drew i dropped it off like over a week ago i called i'm like hey i haven't heard anything what's going on they can't find it it's completely gone i'm like you've got to be kidding me i want to leave in less than 24 hours and it's gone so cool thing though is i gave them pdf copies of the map i made and they expedited and printed out a map so hopefully i can print it uh, i can pick it up here and it'll be all done and all will be good and it's like nothing happened so i guess uh the reason i'm telling you this is one sort of a, a venting way for me but number two is don't be like me and don't get excited right away. Um, I didn't get excited with anybody. I was just frustrated to myself about the whole thing. And at the end of the day, it really is not that big of a deal. But I was so thankful that it worked out in a positive manner anyway. Mistakes happen every day. Um, so something stupid like that happens to you. give Cut somebody some slack. Give them a break. You don't know what kind of day they've been having, I guess, was, was all I was getting at. But, you know, we're doing that, and I uh, just got to pack the truck up, and I'm, I'm headed. I'm just pumped up. This uh, this opening day was a little bit on the slower side for me. However, the end of the day heated up very quickly. I didn't see a lot of deer. I took my sister-in-law hunting. This is the second time she's ever gone hunting, and we, we went out on her new property that she purchased, and around 5 o'clock in the evening... We had a, a nice seven-pointer come by, and, and she was able to put a great shot on it and harvested her first buck. I posted some of the pictures on our Instagram page. If you don't follow us already, check it out. It's at Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. That's where you get a lot of information about the shows we have coming up and some other cool relevant stuff we'll post on there. But uh, that was that was exciting. I was real happy she was able to connect and shoot her first buck. We've got this uh, this group hunt at my cabin this week. I'm coming home for a day then i'm right back out in the woods i am headed to new jersey monday december 5th is going to be the opening day of jersey's bear season that they have not had for two years and i'm participating so getting the guns all situated for that i have to use either my inline muzzleloader or a slug gun so just making sure i've got my my guns shooting well coordinating that and i'm going to be taking part in that for the first two days so i'm really looking forward i've got a a, a solid five days of hunting and uh with, with a bunch of people that i just really enjoy spending time with uh there's a couple other people that couldn't make it this year i wish they could have because i wish they could be part of it but that's life and and uh, hopefully there's next year that they can come with us and, and join us So, this week's episode, I had a conversation with one of our listeners, and that would be Charlie Bear, and I recorded this episode with him a couple of weeks ago, and wanted to release it right around now, and uh, I, I... in the meantime, he also did an episode with the Backcountry PA podcast. Which guys, if you haven't listened to that podcast, it is a—that's a great podcast. Those guys do. I've listened to a couple of their episodes. They do a great job on that show. And they had Charlie. I didn't get to listen to the episode that they did with Charlie uh, to see, you know, if there was any major differences between my interview with him and theirs. But uh, nevertheless, I had a conversation with Charlie and it was great. We talked about the buck that he harvested this year in archery season, how he was able to capitalize on that. We talked a lot about mobile hunting and how that transformation of having permanent set stands and being set in his ways of where you're going to go to, reading terrain, monitoring pressure on a property because he's hunting it with other people and utilizing his sticks and saddle and staying mobile and how that paid off really really big for his best buck to date so it's a it's a great conversation it was a great chance to um, catch up with Charlie and uh, I I think he's on to some some pretty cool things in that property I think he's gonna be getting on some better and better deer the longer he hunts his properties and fine-tunes his craft so I hope you enjoy this conversation wherever you find yourself this week or next good luck stay safe out there hunting and, uh, yeah, that's all we can, uh, that's all we can really hope for is, is, stay safe and hopefully a little luck goes our way. So have a great week. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to this episode. All right. So let's get rolling. And tonight we got Charlie bear who is coming off of the high of killing his best buck of his life. I think, uh, Charlie, how's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's going. I'm at the point where I am tired of looking at Halloween candy. So I spent the past week and a half doing like a a one or two stop per night uh, Halloween extravaganza. And everybody that I took the kids to literally gave them not a couple pieces of candy, a bucket full so you multiply that by about seven or eight stops. I've got candy coming out of my ears, and it's really not what I needed to see. Like, I feel like every time I pack food to go out hunting, I want to pack something good that's going to give you energy and not give you a sugar dump when you're in a tree stand. But anyway.
2: Yeah, I'm the same way. This My son, he's almost two. So this is his second Halloween, but really his first one being mobile and getting around. So all the neighbors, of course, like you said, wanted to spoil him. And that's the last thing I need, but I'm already known for stealing his snacks for my lunches and his go-go squeezes and you know, all all his goodies. So I didn't mind. But uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's wearing off. They finally pulled it up fifty percent off at Walmart. I saw tonight. So.
1: <laughs> I'm at the at my problem though is like I I I'm gonna have to like get into a more strict routine of like working out and doing things again because this time of year when it comes to like physical activity, like I go, I go work, hunt, everything else that I have to do. And like nothing else that you should do gets done. It's like on hold during hunting season. I don't know what, like, I, I remember when I played football, like you, you try to keep a weekly, uh, lift in just to maintain muscle mass and do all this stuff. And I feel like that always got pushed to the wayside. And I feel like doing anything positive, that's you know, healthy for your body during hunting season. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go.
2: <laughs> and it doesn't help that you have, like you said, the Halloween candy, and then then right after that you have thanksgiving and then it's dark all day oh potato Christmas, filling and, yeah and then so i mean you have nothing else to do besides just sitting there inside and, and comfort get all the comfort food and you know if you're lucky enough to harvest a deer you get the chili out and you know it's yeah it's hard and you'll eat. be running that with
1: the chili mindset and you'll be running with the mindset that even if you do overindulge on thanksgiving it won't be painful to get up on Saturday morning and go after a buck because you're tagged out. And what a heck of a deer! Congratulations. um Was was that a deer that you were were following of any suit, or just kind of happenstance the way it happened this year?
2: No, first thank you. uh And no, not really at all. We had no history. Myself or the uh the other guys in the area that you know hunt that property, we have no. Pictures, uh, I'm still waiting back to hear from the guy that lives across the road. Uh, I work for a strip mine, so we, we have leases. And the guy across the road was one of our property owners. He asked for some pictures, and he's hunted on the property. So we're kind of waiting to see if he had any from you the know, past year or even this year. But it was one of those nights where uh, I think the Wednesday before, it was a straight south wind. And uh, it switched directly to a north all day on Thursday. So I don't know if he was just you know he's a satellite buck if he was cruising, packing does or if uh, if he followed you know came with the does if they were shifting bedding bedding areas but yeah pretty much he came in with uh, the two does and made a rub uh, followed them into about 40 yards and I picked an opening and I was filming them the whole time you know and, and I, I pulled my camera over to an opening where the first doe went through it was about. Thirty-nine, forty yards, and the first, the second doe held up at uh, about twenty yards before that, and just for whatever reason, turned directly away and just walked away. And that's where he de- he decided to go. Unfortunately, right. so uh, I wasn't able to hunt that Friday. Uh, so it was the twenty-eighth. Would have been the next day, Halloween weekend. Uh, had prior obligations you know, family, so I'm immediately thinking how I'm gonna kill this deer Saturday morning. Well, you know, where is he going to be? Where are these is going to be on Saturday morning? And it wasn't maybe a half an hour later, I hear a couple of branches break to my right, which is the way that first doe fed off. And look up, and all I see is a rack coming directly toward to the tree. He and he had some that somehow skirted me, and went sent check, bread, whatever, you know, that dough, checked, and came back looking for that other dough. There was a smaller eight-point. Came in directly behind me he ran him off uh, earlier on but this was all about a half an hour you know him back and forth just pretty much checking the does Uh, he wasn't really you know bumping them or, or seeking or anything like that i got a lot of those questions you know was he running them was he you know bumping them was he anything like that and the only thing he was he was territorial there's no doubt about that like i said he he ran off that smaller eight uh but he, just, he didn't like the fact that they broke up. He wanted to keep those two does together. And essentially, thats that was the end of that. That's what killed him in the end, curiosity. <laughs>
1: I feel like that's what kills most of them. They let their guard down at one specific time. In that time frame that you killed your buck – I I got a lot of pictures from friends and just you know seeing stuff on my feed of people seeing good deer shooting good deer. Uh, um, I had some great encounters. the The one day that I was out with one of my buddies, it just seemed like there was something about it in the air that that was kind of really, uh, I guess, shifting gears so to speak. Um, I kind of want to go back a little bit, so. You had you would mentioned the the property the property you hunt you know, nobody knew that deer kind of deal, uh, so the 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 setup that you're hunting are you doing like it sounds like it's private land is it private land lease you know asked by permission only is it family friends like what what uh, what grants you access to that property and then what kind of flexibility do you have to approach that property throughout a calendar year to make it successful?
2: I uh, would. Which- I'm actually very fortunate that my company owns the property. So, uh, like I said, I work in a strip mining company. So we we do have leases. Uh, that most of those are farms. They're usually not letting people hunt. Just they usually have hires or you know, they hunt themselves. Uh, we actually own the property that I'm I'm hunting on. So in the past, they've let uh, neighbors on like I said the guy across the road he was a, he had a lease with us so he's been allowed on in the past uh, there are a couple other guys that do have stands on on the property uh, one of them actually tagged out the first week so it was kind of down to just me and one other guy archery hunting uh, from what I've understood this is only the first year I've archery hunted it uh, that's actually only my third sit on the property and uh, they've never really killed very many good good deer out of there uh, they say a lot of the time, rifle those guys the the guys that have been there for eight ten years ever since they put that, you know, that plant there those guys end up killing killing a good deer but yeah i mean i if you look back on my instagram page uh i had a video of about 12 or 14 bucks come across the field in the middle of july and one of them had his g2s are about 12 or 13 inches long and he was actually the buck that i was in Back in after, he he showed back up and he was kind of pretty frequent. We we uh, the dozer operator actually saw him bedded down, running a doe, running a smaller buck off, pinning a doe down a couple of days before that, probably about a hundred yards from where I was set up. So he was actually the buck I was in after, and like I said, that was just pure luck that a bigger one came through just to happen.
1: There's nothing wrong when that happens. So. <laughs> Not at- uh, first year hunting this property, uh, what kind of off-season preparation did you have going into this property? Because for, from my perspective, if, if, it's, uh, if it, there's been very little people that have been able to connect on this property prior to you or the other people that are hunting, um, wh- what led you to having a little bit better edge or advantage in this situation compared to everybody else? or What put you a step above in that sense?
2: uh definitely mobile hunting um everybody else that's ever hunted that property they just set stands and even if they were yeah, you know, they were they weren't seeing deer in range they they weren't moving the stands they were just well i'm seeing deer so that one day they thought that something might come through and i mean i think that was the issue they were seeing deer all year long i took that to my advantage i could actually see one of the stands uh, the one guy that i work with he he hung and he he kept telling me he was getting skirted by deer whether it was does or small bucks he and nobody i laid the eyes on a shooter the first first week in there on the other side of the property but he kept telling me that I'm, I'm getting skirted by these deer and we told him for the first two weeks to move your stand and he wasn't in there that nice as go down there and, and see what you can do and it uh, i went on just off the point like an oak system a little oak flat kind of drops down into a bench into a creek bottom and i went just on the right off where it drops into the bench and that they came right up at creek bottom from behind me off the off the hill like i said i could see his stand so maybe he may have been able you know if it may uh a set stand may have been the ticket that night but the fact that i was able to cover it probably lays out like a boomerang kind of like creek bottom and I kind of pinpointed the north south and be like the southwest kind of pinpointing the areas where I thought the most area you know most traffic would be And just so happened the third third spot I picked was was the honey hole
1: so the I've had a lot of good luck with with pre-hung stands in my experience however most of the time those pre-hung stands are not getting hunted a lot you know it's yep. I, I'm, I'm trying to wait for the right wind direction to get into that stand and get out of that stand it's placed well and well you know well in advance um no intrusion close to the time when i want to hunt and it's got features that are going to bring deer within bow range hopefully so you know taking all that into account I'm going in and making the most of it, but I can easily see, and and this would be what I'd be curious about the, the, this individual in in the stand location. Was it something that was getting hunted on a regular basis on any wind direction? Was it, was there something kind of flaw in access that you saw, and you took advantage of a different access into this location? Uh, Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Uh, No, he was actually hunting it almost every other day. He was in there quite, you know, quite frequent and, the other guy that had a stand in there, it was only maybe 125 yards away, and he was bouncing back and forth in between those stands, and I kind of stayed on the other side of the property uh, away from him, and I, I kind of accessed similar to him. Uh, I didn't go in there until I had the right wind, per se. He kind of, he was maybe hunting it on, oh, I, I can hunt on Wednesday, so I'm going to hunt the stand. Uh-huh. I got a good picture there. Uh, I was more of... Uh, and no uh, guessing, I guess I should say, you know, if I backed myself into that creek bottom, something would be walking down that ridge in front of me uh, at some point throughout the evening, whether it was something of you know, a caliber of the Buckeye shot or so I, I I figured something would be cruising through there uh, just with the terrain, the the history that he's had in that area. But yeah, I, like I said, I I pretty much have just, use the same exact access. It's just the wind direction uh, was the big, big, big thing that night, you know, the big switch from Wednesday to, to Thursday.
1: So there was a switch in the direction of the wind. So um, obviously that wind switched in a direction that you could get to where you could get, where you right. ended up being in a stand not be detected on stand was there anything about the wind that you felt was better for deer movement in that sense or, or or is is the wind-based movement wind-based uh bedding kind of thing is that something that you paid attention to in any sense or was it just from the sheer fact that I could get into this good location that seems pretty intrusive but I, I can get aggressive and it's it's going to be uh, favorable for me to at least get there?
2: A little bit of both. Uh, I'm always trying to use the wind as, in access. I think that's everybody's main goal. But the big, I, I, like you said, I do kind of target wind. Uh, There's big wind changes. You don't really, see, you'll see like a, a south to southwest to west wind. And this one from a, a, a direct south to a direct north. And then over the next couple of days, it went, you know, it was going from to a straight east, I think on, on Friday and Saturday. So I, I was paying attention to that big time. Um, I think we talked earlier about uh, people you knew that those days cameras was blowing up. I actually pulled cards uh, the next Sunday and from the 26th until the 30th, I had... I don't know how many shooter bucks just on one property, just cruising, you know, cruising that creek bottom, hitting every scrape up and down, daylight, midnight. So, I think that there's honing into those big uh, wind changes and uh, cold fronts, even warm fronts coming in. Get down into those creek bottoms where they get, you know, it's it's cooler. You're gonna get movement whether it's early, midday they're gonna to have to come down there at some point that's just uh, and then the other thing is with or we're working uh, there's a lot of equipment running so we use that to our advantage I try to use that to my advantage uh, some of the guys think it's a disadvantage I was I actually dr- drove by a bedded buck about four or five times today, probably 120 inch deer and he was watching tri-axle up and down the road all day he watched me stop look at him, take a picture So they're used to it it's like they come to the noise and they feel safe that way so i kind of use that to my advantage you know well where was the guy running equipment today well he's probably watching that direction if he's betting over here so all those things definitely play a factor in in that specific location of the money.
1: You know, when I I relate this back to hunting all the time, I'll never forget when I went on my honeymoon with my wife, uh, we went to South Africa and did a photo safari, which was really, really a cool experience. And I'll never forget going through and doing this photo safari. We go through on a bush jeep and drive literally anywhere. And they'd say, what What do you want to see today? And we'd say, well, it'd be kind of cool to see this. And they'd go drive through the bush and try to find stuff. And they would literally drive right up to a pride of lions or drive right up to a herd of antelope or something like that. And I said, I, said, I, I know that this isn't a danger to them, but I, I still cannot fathom that they allow this to happen. And he said, at this one point in the trip, we, we were driving up, and he said, all right, when we get up next to this herd of antelope and we stop, I want you to stand up. Okay. So um, literally got a, a, a mere 10 yards. And the minute that I stood up, every antelope in that group had its ears pinned forward, its eyes locked on me, and took off like crazy. And I looked at him, and I said, okay. I said, he saw me. What's your point? He goes, when you look at this Jeep, he said, when you look at the, the noise it makes, the smells that it makes... And uh, the things that it does, it doesn't. it's not something that they can eat, it's not something that they can breed with, and it's not something that has ever caused them any harm. He said, so it's just a, a negative, it's it's not a negative stimuli to them. It, there's no danger associated with it. He said, but the minute that you stood up and they saw a human profile, he said, that's something that they can associate with danger. And, you know, I, I think that back to hunting and what you just said. Like, I've been in so many situations where... Uh, even people noise, like people noise, but it was in an area that was non-associated with it Like I've done a little bit of uh, urban hunting here around my place in a sense. And you can have, like I've, I've seen deer come through my property and watch my dogs run up to their electric fence and stop. And, and they'll just watch the, the, the dogs and they, they don't run. They don't take off and carry on. But it the minute that you cross that boundary and they know that there's something out of their their zone where they're used to going that that's when it's kind of like okay red flag and and that that equipment noise i mean i've I've run into that same thing i mean there's definitely something to be said about animals getting accustomed to human noises and i mean that's i think that's an excellent strategy on on that property i mean kind of one in rome doing rome i guess (laughs) Yeah. So the, uh, the mobile hunting aspect of things. So I think I saw on your Instagram that you were running a saddle.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say 90% of the time I hunt out of my saddle. Uh, like you said, I do have my, my pre-hunts and I try to not go into those spots until this time of the year. Uh, I run cameras in them, those, those areas and. Just it's they soak there, and I check them very seldomly. Uh, go in there with the right wind, the right time of year, and that's about it. There, that's about ten percent of the hunting. The ninety percent, I'm I'm still hunting a lot of private land. It's just the the mobility and the access and the, the and all the different opportunities it gives you. you know, I was blown away the first. You know, the first. This is my fourth year doing it. Okay. And I was going to ask you that. Think, how long
1: you've been doing this.
2: Yeah, this is my fourth year into it, so uh, I'm I'm invested now, to say the least. <laughs> in it, uh, I'm pretty comfortable with my setup to the fact where I hardly use a light anymore. I can flick my light on and off, take my time, still be quiet, set up fast, fast or slow, slow as fast, and so you know any kind of saddle hunting or pre-hanging or you know hanging hunts, I guess it would be. But yeah, that's that was actually my first buck out of a saddle. Okay, I've shot a couple couple does, but yeah, that was my first, first buck out of a saddle.
1: So the the hanging hunts that you've been doing, was that something that were you doing hanging hunts on a lot of the hunts that you did prior to saddle hunting? Or did kind of the, the, the really excitement and, and I don't know if I want to use the word hype, but the excitement of saddle hunting that's happened recently in the past five six seven years or whatever um was that something that you said hey i want to give this a try it might be another tool in my toolbox
2: uh yeah i was pretty i was sitting in my pre-hung stand and it was probably going on about the 15th of the season this was probably six seven eight years ago now and i was just getting skirted for like the third year in a row by deer and that's right about the time the hunting public really you know started blowing up Mm Mm-hmm. And they were doing hanging hunts, so I, I got like an XOP stand, some uh, hawk helium sticks, and and saw what it was all about. And it it was it was a, a huge learning curve. Uh, nobody I knew did it, so I was kind of on my own, trying to watch YouTube videos on it, uh, go out practice, come back, you know. That lasted about a half a season, and I switched the saddle, just. Once you would, once I would get up to my top stick and hang that pl- the, my tree stand. I mean, it. I was comfortable in a tree stand. It was. I didn't mind the extra weight because, where I'm at, I'm not walking, you know, very far. If you know, if it a mile, is a very very long day, and that's I'm probably lost or you know tracking something at that point. Uh, so the weight wasn't really an issue with the hanging hunts. It was more just. Comfortable. I mean, I I, I have my hip you know, my tether point to the to the place where I have zero hip pressure point. You know, everybody complains about their hips hurting in the saddle. Uh, once you get it, once I got it locked down, that was kind of my go-to. Uh, there was so I kind of progressed. I I went through the climber stage. So I mean, yeah, I did it all. I I started, and I did like you said, kind of went through the hype. You know, the climbers, the hanging hunt, the saddle. Uh, I still would probably say that summer of my Summit Viper was probably the most comfortable out of anything that i you know any kind of mobile setup that I had. It was just so dang big. I, I like to ask
1: everybody that's kind of gravitated towards the saddle. Do you ever find a situation where you think? man, a climber or a tree stand would be better in this situation? Or are you to the point now with doing this that you're you're pretty much sold in every way, shape, or form that this is better for you?
2: The only thing that I run into would be height. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting about 16 feet. Probably about my hip is about 16 feet up, which I'm, I'm comfortable with most of the year. This time of year, you're running into nothing in the trees you're sticking out like a sore thumb so I unless you're one sticking which I don't I don't see me ever going that into it you're kind of limited on how high you're going to get with a saddle Uh, I have run in situations you know once the end of October comes beginning of November kind of hope wishing you know um, wish I would hang on to a, a climber just for times like that where maybe you needed to get An extra six or eight feet to you know give up to that cover so those uh, there are definitely those those times where i i miss the the ability to the height that's about the only the only thing i can complain about
1: i've been called a little bit crazy and i guess it just stems from people that i've hunted with in the past but i've never really when I was younger, I guess I did, but I've just gotten so used to it. I, I haven't feared – as long as I'm attached to the tree, I don't fear going higher than, than most people. Uh, I've been in cases where I was in a climber tree stand, and I know – that I was between 30 and 35 feet in a climber tree stand. The only reason I know that is because I know how long my pull up rope was, and when I was getting to a point and I start feeling it pulling up on my on my hip a little bit. I know I'm about, you know, 30 to 35 feet. Uh, I've I've hunted with people that hunt higher than that, which for me is too much. But I mean, there's definitely an advantage, uh, a sight advantage or, or a disadvantage for the deer, however you want to look at it, when you're hunting that high. And, you know, some of the places I've hunted in, I'll say big woods in, in central Pennsylvania, north, north central Pennsylvania, some of the tree types are just a lot more conducive for a climber tree stand and be able to get up and, and go. But, um, I, I will say hunting around some chop-offs, hunting around, uh, I hunted a, like a small marsh property in Southeast Pennsylvania and the, the tree types it's just a lot easier if you have a pre-hung hang-on or you do a hang-and-hunt setup. And I've, I've used the saddle. It's something that I'm not 100% comfortable with. But I'm just, right now where I'm at, I'm just looking at it as a tool in the toolbox for the places I go. And I think it's really fascinating. More and more people have gravitated towards it. And I don't see people stopping. Like It, it seems like a lot of people are, are really enjoying using their saddles.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like like we were talked earlier, I had full access to hang 50 stands on that property if I chose, but it's not, I mean, some people think it's a secret well, you don't want people to know you're there. I mean, that definitely helps. I mean, if if someone is, else, you know, hunting on that property and they're not seeing stands, they may think, oh, well, you know, or they see two stands on one side of the property and they're not seeing anything on the other side. Well, maybe those guys didn't put those stands over there because... I was going to be bouncing back and forth on that ridge throughout the season. Do you find I mean, you're
1: willing to get more aggressive when you've got that setup because you don't have the investment of hanging that stand ahead of time and and the thought of of hunting it multiple times?
2: Absolutely, because I mean there are times where my pre-hunt would just you would sit there and in, in, you know in your vehicle in the morning and just kind of. Beat yourself up on which stand I'm going to go to, and then, you know, if you get there and the weatherman, you know, wasn't right, then oh, does that do happen? Do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I've I've I, I've hunted the same trail on two or three winds, you know, the same scrape on two or three winds with a saddle or mm-hmm. even a hanging hunt setup. Uh, I've actually torn down a stand when it was a pre-hung in the middle of a set and, and moved it, and that was kind of right in the transition of me getting into, you know, hanging hunts was just the, the mobility and the, the, the ability, I guess it would be to hunt the same area, but in any situation, if I, like, like I said, if I showed up and I, I, said, I checked the wind and it's on Southwest and it was supposed to be a Northwest, I'm not, I'm not dead in the water. Then I can just maybe cross that trail. and and set up that way and
1: what i don't know if you would have this experience or not but like the so so this this year this property you killed this buck on you said it was i think you said the first year that you hunted this property or second year and there's uh there's definitely a case in point when it's a newer property it's it's still fresh to you um kind of kind of green hanging stands you might do all your homework the best you can but i've been in that situation where you scouted you you thought this is the place to hang a tree stand and you hunt it, you realize it should be a little bit different i should have accessed this way or i should have done that way and when you also throw in the the aspect of pressure and and hunting with other people uh that's an added element to it do you think though if you had a property that you had to yourself and you had a long-term history with do you think that there's still an advantage to hunting that style with a saddle a mobile setup or do you think that would be a case in point where maybe it would be a tool but i might feel more comfortable do like what are your
2: thoughts Uh, i wouldn't be against if say i say i own that property i would not be against hanging i would i could see myself on that probably hanging three or four stands and they would be my all day sit rut stands but i would still probably get aggressive and even hunt around those stands but not you know within within 50 yards within eyesight of them maybe uh kind of maybe do almost observation sits on those stands you know uh if you're if you're putting those stands in the position to kill a deer in the rut uh, i think skirting like so the, the guy that had this the stand set up there at that property that was probably more of a rut it was on a north to south trail there's the bucks were going to be cruising checking a west wind so he set it up for the rut so i would still probably have a stand similar to that I, there's nothing against that stand i think it's in a great spot however it was a week and a half two weeks before the actual what i consider rut hitting So moving just on that outside that bubble, you're catching those deer that maybe aren't really running that trail yet. It's kind of like hanging a trail camera and not knowing what's on the backside of the tree the whole year, never hunting that property because, well, there's no deer, I didn't get a picture of them. Mm. But the whole time there's, you know, Pope and Young walking behind or, you know, and you, you have no idea. So I think a lot of those times those stands do come in, in handy and they are a great tool to have but I think I still would find myself using my saddle to kind of scout and try to get lucky on a pre, you know, early season buck.
1: You said your access, you kind of took a very similar access to how the other hunter was, was going in this area, but you pushed in a little bit farther. So I'm curious about that, that, that aspect of like, where he would stop at his stand. Um, what, uh, What kept your access safe from that point to where you ended up hanging your stand? And I'm curious what made you choose that location. Was it just the sheer fact that the description was it was skirting, or were there things about the spot that you hung your stand that pinched deer a little bit closer, any terrain features that really said, this is where I want to be set up at this time of year? Was there any sign that really said, this is where I need to stop?
2: Uh, Yeah, so off in the distance, I was actually kind of, I was going to that area, uh, there's some pines on the other side of the creek, and it was a warmer day, so I kind of figured it'd maybe bend up in the shade. Uh, I was first, I was, I, was, I was going a little bit deeper than I actually went. Uh, there was a couple fresh rubs I could see off in the distance. Uh, once That was the first time I was down there when the leaves were kind of starting to come off, so I could see a little bit better, and I noticed what I thought was a scrape. It ended up being wasn't a community story, but it was a good size scrape. It was about 60 yards away uh, from where I actually set up. And once I got to that point, uh, it's like a, a ridge point system right there. It drops off into the creek. And it, there's a bench for that probably runs 150 yards along the creek. It's about 60 yards wide. It has a uh, real thick green briar all through it. So that's where I was kind of on the edge of that, and that's right where they came up through and uh, and fed up out of so it was yeah it was kind of terrain feature, uh, the fact that I knew that there were deer in the area, uh, were skirting him, mm-hmm. uh, the creek had a lot to do with it. But like I said, warmer day, I knew there was good cover up in there. Uh, it just it, it felt like something should be there. I did. not I surely didn't expect what, what came through to be there, but yeah, I mean it definitely. It was one of those feelings where it started feeling real bucky. If you, you know, if you, yeah. if you know what I mean, you get in those, those situations where, yeah, pushing deeper, it, it could have paid off. I may have been successful on another deer. Uh, he, I may have been successful on him. You never know. But uh, I think that it was just one of those situations that yeah. I kind of met myself in the middle from where I initially wanted to go. And where I ended up, I kind of just met myself in the middle and and it worked out.
1: So when you were on stand, um, explain to me what the prevailing wind direction was doing in in relation to where you saw deer predominantly coming from. And was there any thermal switches you you were anticipating or any changes in the thermals while you were on stand that maybe you thought, um, this is just 100% my advantage, or, you know, you talked about, uh, Watching the wind from an aspect of deer using it. Did you see anything in your mind that said, you know I'm, I'm kind of just cutting this or you know, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, I was pretty comfortable with the wind the entire night. It was a north wind as I said before, but it was in my face uh, They came from I was facing the north Eastish, I guess you could say Wind was coming from predominantly the north uh, they came from my southwest mm. so over my left shoulder uh, and they were kind of walking, cutting the wind. You know he was he was following the dough, so they were kind of cutting the wind and I never felt that I was at a disadvantage because right off the bat, if anything didn't come off that backside of, behind me out of that you know, thick cover of the pines, I felt like my, that's where my thermals would pull up at some point down towards that creek uh, um that smaller buck came directly downwind of me so i don't know if if that doe one of those does, were hot if if he didn't you know if that was the case or if you know my my thermals may have been pulling up you know a different direction Uh, but when he came back in he was walking with the wind at his back and I have, a, I have a video of him walking up to about 10, 12 yards and just staring at my tree. And I was hiding behind my tree watching him in the viewfinder the, for about two and a half minutes. Mm. And it, he just, he knew something wasn't right. And that was where saddle hunting kind of came in handy because I was, I was, I was literally hiding behind the tree with my bow in one hand and turned, you know, and just that viewfinder was the only thing that was saving me. If I, if I wouldn't uh, switched over to self-filming this year, then uh, I don't, he, I mean, he knew something was up and he slowly started backing up and bound off to about 50 yards. Uh And then, but he, he, he still wanted behind me. So I don't know if, you know, he thought that other buck was down there if uh, that doe went back down there, but for some reason, you know, he was, he was doing something a buck you wouldn't think would do mm. with that wind because the wind was at his back, and there was – if if you knew the layout, I mean, it was an, an open pit, essentially a field. With, it's just a big hole behind him. So he knew – he came from that direction. So I would imagine he knew there was no danger up there, and he was walking into what essentially was ended up being danger to him. And he, he just – he did something – that's why I thought – there was a dough, One of those doe had to have been hot to get him that. He was just getting to the beginning stages of that goofiness, you know, mm. where he was, he was just he. When he skirted me, bounded off about fifty yards, and he just skirted a quarter to about thirty-five. There was he was just acting. He wasn't acting like a big buck should act, which it played into my advantage, obviously.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, did you uh, did you happen to put a tape on that there?
2: No, I did not yet. Uh, my rough guess was everybody I talked to about one thirty five, or be one forty if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've never the biggest thing I've ever seen I put a tape on was about one twenty six. So I didn't really have anything to compare them to. Uh, I know so that that. What's that? It's
1: a unique rack with some of the the, the kickers and characters. It makes it deceiving when you want to put a number to it.
2: Yeah, because anybody that I've talked to that that split G three, it would be they, it's going to be I guess it's going to be non typical now. Mm. So that's going to be a deduction of score. I mean, either way, I, I'm I'm happy with them. Yeah, who cares uh, about regardless, that score Regardless, anyway? regardless, regardless of what he scores. But like I said, that 120, 125, five, one twenty six, I have. He fits inside of him. So.
1: Yeah. A lot of, I, I asked that question and I ask it lightly because a, there's, there's a lot of hunters that hear that about score and they almost like borderline get offended that, you know, it's not about the score and it's not, it's just a, like when you, when you put a score and a number to it, it, just gives you a metric. Like there's a standard metric of gauging, you know, what it actually had on its, on its head and just gauging it, comparing to it. And do I hunt for score? Oh my gosh, no, I could, I, no. I really don't care. I mean, you know the deer I, you know, to put a score to to my buck, I don't think I said this, but the the buck I killed this year was 111 inches, and I, I was I was thrilled with that. You know, it was a yeah. 225 pound deer, and yeah. I, I'm I was thrilled. It, the The experience was very similar to any other buck I killed, and uh, you know, that's, yeah, and I can't that, that's
2: say that doing. if a if a 110 inch deer walks by next year, I can't say that I'm not going to shoot it. You <laughs> know, I mean, I mean, if if I'm lucky enough to, to get on a good deer again and and you know maybe hunt him down and have history with one next year and, and put one down that way that'd be that'd be a great story and another you know another great memory but you know, like you said it's I'm not out, I'm not out there after the, the number it's just this is the first one that I consider something worth scoring I mean he's he's at the taxidermist he was there Saturday I dropped him off so he's uh, the first one that was worth going to going to get stuffed and put a tape on so we'll see how he comes back he was anticipating a, about an April return, so that's my birthday month. So, happy oh birthday to me, hopefully.
1: <laughs> so, when I sit on stand this time of year, especially after I shoot my buck, I'm worse for then because, like, when I don't shoot my buck, I'm still thinking, like, strategy and, you know, what the forecast is and what this wind direction is going to lead me to this stand and when I have time to get on stand and this set. But, like, especially after I shoot my buck, when I go and stand and there's. Uh, I, I hunt some private places that I have the ability to manipulate things to improve my hunting, whether that's cutting trees or food plots or, you know, whatever. So uh, a couple stands that I was on this year, mainly the one at my place, I would be on stand and I'd be thinking, man, I really need to improve this section of the property and this section of the property and, and neck down these trails and make it a little bit higher traction to, to funnel them into this, this bow shot and I, I ask you when you're on stand on this property are there things going through your mind that you say i want to learn how to access this property a little bit better there, there's something i want to learn about this property for next year whether that's in my off season scouting or maybe it's you know going to shoot a doe you know are there are there things in your mind that you're looking to to prepare to make better for next season already
2: uh yeah right now Uh, i'm kind of watching from a distance for for the time being and i'm lucky enough to be able to do that Uh, i operate equipment so i can i can kind of monitor the woods and the edge of the woods this time of year from equipment so i don't necessarily have to be in the woods every day Uh, there is another guy still down in there hunting so i try to be respectful out of him you know not not going down in there necessarily right now but i know as soon as Season is uh, you know over or he's tagged out or it moves on to another spot I'll be back in there and I'll yeah, like you said there are a couple more places in that property that I still do want to dive into uh, I found the first night. I sat in that property I saw real heavy horn buck and he was he was very pretty impressive. He uh, he I don't I don't want to say he would score more than that buck, but he would push everything that he, that buck is going to support that I shot. Uh, just the the mass that he had, it was he was he was a very impressive deer, and I have I never even made it to that side of the property again. And so I mean and that's just that's that's definitely something that in the later season I'm a big fan of February scouting. Uh, you find those fresh beds, uh, you f- you get into those places where the ice is, and you know it might be. A lot harder access in the spring when once everything melts off. So I, I definitely will dive into those spots then. Uh, like I said, if I am lucky enough, I don't feel dis- that I'm disrespecting anybody by going in there. You know, uh, this season, then I will go in with my bow and and tackle that that uh, that other pro- side of the property and try to try to pinpoint maybe a good location over there for for next year and see maybe if there's anything good you know big deer living in there get being holding in that area and kind of put that in my memory bank for for next year i mean even when i was out uh, the sunday after i shot my buck i was pulling cameras and their cards and i was still kind of caught myself hunting i mean even though i i shot a buck and a doe already i i just i felt i found myself still sneaking through the woods and you know, still i find a new fresh rub and 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 mental note that and well why is he traveling right here just always kind of i guess always trying to learn and and look for next year where the next one's going to be
1: yeah i uh, i overwhelm myself with that too much and i was talking about it with some of my hunting buddies and said you know you, you you think too much and you give deer too much credit and you know they definitely don't process uh things the way that we do but um, it, it just feels like it's ever changing. And I guess, I guess so fixated on trying to shoot the best deer and trying to think of where they are. And the, 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 the one thing that I've, I've listened to a lot of other really, really good hunters and people I've had on my show and stuff like that. And, and one of the things I'm really noticing this year, is, we talked about it earlier in this conversation was wind and not necessarily the, the the thought that the wind direction is blowing left to right, so I need to make sure that I don't let my wind blow into this section of the property so nothing smells me. Th- that's definitely very, very important to me. But it, along the sense of thinking more about what the wind is doing for the deer um, and, and how they use that, I've noticed a couple locations that I hunt. Um, I was seeing deer bed in certain locations and I used to always just wonder why and the more I'm paying attention to how the wind and understanding thermals and that's that's one of the things like people talk about thermals and watching thermals and how thermals work um I don't think you ever perfect learning how thermals and air currents move especially when there's terrain added to it like it is it's a constant learning and I I would I've been hunting my whole life, and I've I've shot some great deer and had some great hunting experiences, and I still feel like I'm a novice when it comes to learning the wind and being a steward of wind and thinking about it from the perspective of how is this wind being advantage for the deer, and then how can I try to cut it off? Like like it's it's so hard, and like I've been told so many times that you're you're overthinking it. They all oh, deer don't do that, but I, I believe they do because they're they're a prey species that are getting hunted by people and it's still innate in them when, you know, even though we don't have, you know, what is the biggest predator in Pennsylvania? I guess bear, bear coyotes, maybe. I mean, coyotes definitely attribute to deer, but I, I haven't seen that coyotes are taking you know, herds of deer down. Uh, But I mean, that, that predatory instinct is still in that species and they've got to use their nose to set themselves up.
2: I like to look at it as, if you relied on okay, say your nose was your greatest defense mechanism, and you went into the woods, I, I heard this this broken down this way on a podcast. I can't remember who it was, but they said if you walk into a property and you had to you had to survive, where would you go? If you had to you know base off your nose or your your senses like a deer, you would find those little corners where, you know, people say the balloons are landing. Well, yeah, they land there because that's what, the, all the air is being sucked to it. those deer. Light, you know, they find those areas. We don't. We don't feel the thermals. I mean, very seldomly will you feel. Well, I've, I've ever noticed. You know, a slight one on your neck or something. You know, in the, in the morning or in the evening. But if if you had to survive that way, then I'm sure you would pay attention to them a lot more too.
1: I I noticed one time. Um... Just recently this year, I, I say one time it was it was this season, I had a deer come and it, it crossed my downwind and didn't even flinch. And it was toward the end of the hunt and it was I was kind of on a little bit of a of a slope and I had a uh, just your standard powder wind checker. and my wind was still going right in that direction. You know I'm up in a tree 20 plus feet and my wind direction was still going right towards him. However, I had milkweed with me as well and let the milkweed go and the milkweed started to drift the same way that my air current was going with that powder bottle but as gravity started to pull that milkweed down I noticed that the milkweed completely shifted and started to go down the hill which therefore was not pulling my scent down so so my wind had to be like swirling a little bit but the thermal had to be pulling it down and at the ground level where that deer was it, it I'm assuming that's why it didn't smell me. And I, I just like so many cases like that when you're on stand, how is it an advantage? And it's just, a, it's just a constant learning thing. And another thing we talked about, you know, betting, like I, I uh, trailed a buck this year that was, was shot and where, where he was betting, you literally could not see more than six to seven feet in front. Like it was just thick high stem count, briars. We literally had to crawl on trails to go through and, and re- recover the steer where he laid down and, and, and died. And then you get into some other situations where it's like a room with a view. And it's just so fascinating how they can use all their senses to their advantage. And like sometimes I think, like, how do we even kill these things? Because it just seems so incredible how they set themselves up for survival. But you know, in your case in point and my case in point, they let their guard down at one time and, and you make yep. it happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, even on the way to work this morning, I saw a small buck just standing in the middle of the road. I mean, there's snot coming out of his nose panting and it was probably another mile down the road, uh, probably 130 inch deer doing the same thing, you know, 10 yards off the road, just running around. Like, you know, it's just that, that time of year, and and as much as I want to say, you know, I I the big big buck killer, you know, I hunt, hunted him down and had this great story, and it was it was more luck than anything. I was just you know right place, right time, and I was uh, kept myself somehow. I uh, kept myself calm enough to make a good shot, and he only went about sixty yards, seventy yards, and bedded down. And we found him in his first bed about an hour and a half after I shot him, so
1: everybody has their own philosophy on if luck is a thing or, you know, if some people have luck. And I, I definitely believe luck is a thing, but luck is something that also follows those who are well-prepared. And I think, you know, the, the things you're telling me and, and how you approach this deer, um, I think every deer that I've ever shot in my life attributed to luck, but I think I might've done something that maybe gave me a slight advantage, you know, right. in that direction. And, and I would definitely say that even, uh, even with some luck involved, uh, the, the strategy behind it and that's what I love I love to hear everybody's philosophy and what and the strategy that goes into it that made them successful and I, f- I want to follow that up you know I, I, I kind of asked you what your thoughts were next year um, in your hunting career and where you're at going through like what's what's something that stands at you like I want to I want to be better at this when it comes to hunting and whether that's something within your equipment or how you set up or or how you learn or this specific part of deer behavior like what's something that you were like i really want to improve this
2: uh i definitely want to be become more patient just in the fact of when i'm in the woods i want to be more patient uh when i'm when i'm setting up i can be very methodical and you know every stick i can take my time and and really concentrate on that but i I struggle with it when I'm entering the woods or leaving the woods it's like the the hurry up like oh i, I kind of want to get there and instead of taking my time lower my heart rate and just mentally being there so I definitely need to work on my mental uh, just as soon as I close that vehicle door uh, just take a deep breath and and you know, know why I'm there. That I'm I'm hunting, and just slow everything down, and 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 just learn some patience that way. But I I really want to. You hear about buck bedding, and like you get you eat their main bed that they're they use the most often, and then you know you get their secondary bed, and I've been able to come across a lot of deers first and secondary beds, but it's the the oh crap bed third bed that. I've never been able to find I really want to hone in and try to focus on that because I think that's where you can be really successful in killing the, the big big deer the big the deer like ones I shot this year I think you can shoot those deer in Pennsylvania if you can find that third bed that when when everything's in the fan and they don't you know they've had bullets whizzing and everything they have that one bed that they, they travel maybe 50 60 yard bubble every day I really want to f- figure out and, and learn, you know, where and how to, to, to zero in on on those locations. Well, let's face
1: it, some of the the best hunters in the country that we know about today that that talk about this, you know, they go into the intricate levels of detail in that style of hunting and it's something that's definitely difficult. It's hard to hone in, but the people who do it are typically very very successful. And I think there's there's definitely some merit to that style of hunting with relationship to the type of habitat and terrain you hunt, and also the level of hunting pressure. So you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate on that one for a second, just because this is what um, I'm going to like my comfort zone for a second. But um, if you have the ability to find deer or hunt deer that are moderately pressured or have lower pressure um, I don't feel like there's this gravitating need for a buck to like constantly go to this this one sole bed I think they have their areas they're like and they're they're definitely um, uh, creatures of habit in a sense especially you know throughout a time of year and then you know I, I said about the type of habitat you know some of the larger monotonous mountain land it's really really difficult to pinpoint oh this is a this is a one bed yeah, yeah they might use this one bed but they might also have six other ridges with different wind directions and, and everything else and different food sources that they still relate to there's more bedding opportunity so bedding opportunity I think, is one now I, I say that all the sense that um, where you're at in learning and improving in your hunting that's where I am um, I, I think it's a style and something that um I think is able to make you understand deer behavior a little bit better and just give you one more tool in your, in your toolbox. It's very, very aggressive and I'm not a very aggressive hunter. And I think that's just something that if, if I would be more comfortable in learning when to take those risks and when not to, uh, I feel like it's got to make you a better hunter, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, I owe that, my success this year to being aggressive And like I said, I only hunted that property three times this year. And I don't, well, three, maybe four, but I never hunted the same area, like I said, more than once. And I never hunted the same area in general more than once this entire season, I don't think. So I think the whole just being aggressive, not saying that if I wouldn't have climbed up in that pre-hung stand, I wouldn't have shot that deer, but I just, I I it to the my where where my setup was and how comfortable I got with that and just the fact that if I did see that deer that night that I was already thinking well Saturday morning where's he going to be you know, where may he be going to bed on on an east wind or where may those does be on on Saturday morning so if I didn't have that in my pocket as you know in my tool belt then I might have been in a different situation I might have had to watch him walk and hope he walked by a preset stand you know again the next time I was out there
1: yeah when you're hunting public land or you know by permission property that you're not manipulating and you can't do the things to make deer walk where you want it's it can be really really hard to bottleneck into a bow shot not that you can't pick the one stand that it it happens in like you just said it just uh it becomes tricky you know I've been fortunate like the you know the buck I killed two years ago um, I, I did a lot of specific things to try to pull that deer into bow range. Um, but that's a case-by-case case basis, and I, I can really see how, you know, the, the stuff that you're talking and a lot of people are talking and pushing. It's like a, a big, excited, uh, it's, it's almost like a new new thing now because it's, it's information overload, and a lot of people are learning about how to do this style hunting, and it's very, very effective. Um, it, it's... Uh, yeah, really cool. I'm just thankful to hear this story. Thank you for sharing your, your thoughts, your experiences. Uh, I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I enjoy it.
1: Good deal. Well, hey, best of luck uh, filling the freezer, uh, enjoying the rest of your season. And uh, uh, it's, it's said to be before we got started, maybe maybe a trip to Ohio's on the agenda. So I guess if Yeah, you...
2: we're, we're still uh, up in the air about it. But I think I might, uh, might try my luck over there in November
1: yeah best of luck to you uh hopefully you can connect something and you know who knows maybe that'll open a whole another can of worms in your plans for next year too
2: all righty thanks good luck to you take care
1: take care